the beauty of unity from the sermon series, United, spoken by Pastor Clayton Chan. Good morning, Metro. It's so good to be with you uh, on this amazing Sunday. I'm just glad that uh, even though we may be apart, um, that we can come in one spirit and just worship our one God together. And so if you would just bow your heads with me as I begin with a prayer. God, we thank you for this amazing morning where we can come before you and worship. We know, God, that worship is something that is active. We know, God, that as we lift up our hearts and our voices and just even listen to the message, Lord, that we honor you. And so I pray, Father, that you would just give us eyes to be able to see the beauty of who you are. I pray, God, that you would give us the ears and the hearts to understand, Father, the beauty of your word, the word that gives life to us. And so I pray, Father, that your spirit would just be with us wherever we may be, that we would grow deeper and closer to you because of this morning. So I thank you, God, for all that you are doing and will do, Father, in this time. We pray all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. One of my all-time favorite movies is Remember the Titans. The movie is based on the true story of an African-American coach, Herman Boone, in his attempt to integrate a high school football team during a time of great racial tension. T.C. Williams High, a school in Alexandria, Virginia, was integrating at the time, and they hire Coach Boone, played by Denzel Washington, to bring this football team together, a football team made up of black and white players. At first, it didn't go so well. There was a lot of fighting, there was a lot of bickering as they were trying to come together, being forced to play with each other. But as time goes on, we see that the players learn to trust each other and start to play for one another. It's an inspirational movie about how a football team was able to overcome obstacles and become state champions. But to say that it's simply a football movie is to miss the full picture. It's more than just about football. The movie is about how beautiful unity can be, especially to those who witness it. Through unity, this football team was able to bring a city together and to break down racial tensions. It was through unity that we see people's perspectives change. And the greatest example of this is Gary Bertier's mom. Gary Bertier was the white captain on the team, and he becomes friends with the black captain, Julius Campbell. And we see that as their friendship grows, Gary Bertier's mom is against them being friends. But at the end of the movie, at Gary's funeral, we see that it's Julius who is holding Gary's mom's hand as if he were her own son. There is something so powerful and beautiful about unity, especially to those who are able to witness it. For the last few weeks, we've been answering the why and how about unity. Uh, Pastor Doug started us off talking about the united God, the unity in the Trinity. Uh, Many weeks ago, I talked about how we are united through Christ. A few weeks ago, Pastor Sinita shared with us how we are to maintain unity through reconciliation. And just last week, Pastor Doug shared with us how we are united despite our differences. For today, our second last sermon in the series, we're going to be talking about the unity, the beauty of unity. Answering the question, what makes unity so beautiful? And so if you have your Bibles with you, uh, would you turn to Philippians chapter 2? And we're going to read from verse 1 through 11. 
Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every, bow should, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here was a community facing hardship. We're told in the previous verse that the Philippian church was suffering for Jesus. They were facing opposition from outsiders outside the church, but also they were, in, they were fighting and quarreling amongst themselves inside the church. It's within this context that we see the church come together unified. These outside forces were pulling the church apart. The church was distressed and saddened. But Paul reminds them that they are to fix their eyes on Jesus. He reminds the church of the unity that they have in Jesus, a unity that they have with each other, a unity that they share with each other. It's within this backdrop of uncertainty and struggle that we see the beauty of unity. Despite all that the church was facing, the Philippians came together, committed to one another, loving each other, not, and that's what enabled them not just to survive, but to actually thrive. There's a reason why the book of Philippians is known as the book of joy, right? We spent months and months uh, in this sermon series, Contagious Joy, going through this epistle. The early church was able to experience joy and thrive even in the midst of trying times and suffering. The church of Philippi stands as an example of what can happen when God's people stay united and what we see is a picture of a loving community. Paul experiences joy for being part of this community. He may be physically apart from them because he's in prison, but because of their love and support, he experiences joy of being united with them. We as a church find ourselves in a similar situation today. At this time, we find ourselves separated. We are physically apart, but that doesn't mean that we stop being a community. The challenge for us is to figure out how we can continue to stay united through this pandemic. It's times like these where we truly see the beauty of unity. It's when we feel isolated and alone where we have to remind ourselves that we're not alone, that we are part of a community of believers. The beauty of unity lies in the power of community. 
It's through community that God establishes his kingdom. Look at Jesus' prayer in John 17, 20. First, Jesus prays for the disciples, and then he goes on to pray for all believers. And he starts in verse 20 saying, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus' hope and prayer was that all believers would come to experience the love of God. And as Jesus prays, he says that it's by being united that the world will see who God is. As people witness the love and care that we have for each other, they will come to see the love of God because the source of our love is God. Living in community is the way that we are to glorify God. It's the way that we show the world how great our God is. When people see the church come together in unity, we see something so radical that is out of this world because the world operates from this place of self-centeredness, selfishness, and division. But the community of God operates from a place of kindness, love, patience, and selflessness. As people experience the unity found in community, they come face to face with the beauty of God and they have a foretaste of heaven. Right? How amazing is that? We get to experience heaven here on earth. When you think of heaven, what comes to mind? Do you imagine a place high up in the clouds? I know I did as a kid. Or is your image of a street filled with gold like it's described in the Revelations? I don't know exactly what heaven will look like, but I do know what we will be doing there. When we get to heaven, we will be worshiping God together. In heaven, we will be together worshiping God. But the good news is that we don't have to wait for heaven. As we meet together for weekly prayer meetings, worship services, and small groups, we are worshiping God in unity. We experience so much of heaven already. While we may not be free of hardship and suffering, we do experience God's comfort. And that's through community. While we may not be free of sin, we are able to experience the forgiveness of sins through each other. As we come together as a loving com community supporting each other, we experience Jesus' love. And that's where the beauty of unity lies. The reason unity is so beautiful is because it reflects the beauty of Jesus. When we are committed and devoted to each other, it's a reflection of the love and devotion that Jesus has for us. Paul speaks of this very devotion in verses 6 through 8. He says, Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The most beautiful act in history was the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. 
Jesus gave up his rights, his power, his glory in heaven to come down to be with us. Jesus endured pain, hardship, loss, and even rejection as he faced the cross. Jesus gave up his life so that we could have life in him. The most beautiful act of love was displayed on the cross. Unity is beautiful because at the center of what unites us is the one who has given it all for us. When we live as a loving community united under Christ, we are revealing the beauty of God to this world. And this was the case for the early church. This is the reason, the reason why the gospel was able to spread so quickly was because people were drawn to the unity that they displayed in the church. Look at what is written about the early church in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. Who had a need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. People were being saved as they witnessed the devotion and love of the beautiful community that God had created. The greatest evangelism tool that God has is his church. It's not apologetics or theology that will lead people to Jesus. We can't argue or use logic to win people for Jesus. Surrendering our lives to Jesus has always been a matter of the heart and not of the head. What will draw people to Jesus is us reflecting his beauty. This is how we are to impact the world around us. If you've been attending Metro for a while, you know what our vision is, right? Pastor Doug just even said it this morning. Right? We say it during every moderation. Our vision can be summed up by the word transformation. We believe that as God transforms us, that we would go and be agents of transformation to the world around us. But that agent of transformation also includes our church. It's not just us as individuals. Our church is an agent of transformation. The hope is that our church will be a place that people are drawn to because of how we love and care for one another. The challenge for us is figuring out how to remain united during this time. When we are separated like we are now, how are we to point people to Christ? How can we reflect the beauty of God to this world? And God gives us the answer. We reflect the beauty of God through unity when we suffer with those who suffer. When we suffer with those who suffer. Suffering is one of those things that we can't escape. We can't run from it. Because we live in a world full of sin, there is pain and brokenness and hardship. And I think especially right now, during this pandemic, there has been even greater suffering. People have experienced, many of you have experienced great loss. Maybe it was the loss of a job, the loss of a loved one, even the loss of community. And as we hunkered down in our homes, I think it's placed greater stress in our family life. 
It's put greater stress in our marriages and even in our relationships with our kids. It's not easy to work from home and have our child uh, learn remotely. It's not easy to be with our wives or husbands, our spouses. Even though we, might, we love them so much, we still need our time and space away from them. The pandemic hasn't just changed our daily life and rhythms. It's also caused a lot of stress and struggle. It's, it's in, a time like this where there, in a time like this where there's so much hardship and suffering, what should our response as the church be? Paul understood what it meant to suffer. His life was threatened on numerous occasions. He was persecuted for, him, for proclaiming the gospel. And even right now, as he is imprisoned, he writes this letter to a church that's facing its own struggles and hardship. Philippi was a Roman military colony who was fear, and its citizens were fiercely loyal to the emperor. And so because of that, the church in Philippi found themselves directly in conflict with the outsiders, with the people outside the church because of their loyalty to Jesus. They were being persecuted for their beliefs in Jesus. And with no hope of being able to be with them, Paul offers these words in verse 1. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, in any, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. These words from Paul were, were meant to encourage a church in their time of need. Paul understands what the church is facing. We're actually told in the previous verse, in verse 30, that what, Paul, what the church is facing is the same struggle that Paul is facing. Paul shares in the suffering just as much as the church of Philippi shares in his suffering. We are told later in Philippians that it was this church that decided to support Paul financially. It hurt to see their friend Paul struggling. And so they took it upon themselves to give of what little they had to support him. By being united, we share in each other's sufferings. That doesn't mean that we have to put ourselves in harm's way, but it should break our hearts to see our brothers and sisters who we love hurting. Paul says that the source of our comfort and encouragement is being united in Jesus, but oftentimes the comfort and encouragement that we experience comes by the way of the kindness and love of others. We have a role in, in extending God's care and compassion. To suffer with those who suffer means that we need to carry each other's burdens and struggles. I think too often we forget that the church is a place of healing and hope. We forget that the church is a place that we are to bring our burdens and our struggles because oftentimes the church has been a place of shame and judgment. I've heard way too many instances of people who couldn't bring their hurts and their pains to the church because of how people might judge them, or it just seems like people don't care. The church is not just a place of worship. It is a place of healing and restoration. As a church, we need to learn how to suffer with those who suffer. Those who are hurting shouldn't have to justify themselves. Sometimes the politics of the church get in the way with being with those who are broken. 
In the past, people have seen our outspokenness about the Black Lives Matter and racial justice as being political, but it was never about politics. It It was and will always be about standing with those who are hurting. We have to stop making church about a worship service and start to stand, to see standing with those who are hurting as our worship to God. One of the holiest things that we could ever do is to be present with those who are suffering. Presence is powerful. It's a reminder to that person that their life matters and that what they are facing, they don't go alone. It's a reminder of God's faithfulness and his promise that he would never leave us nor forsake us. People don't always need an answer or solution to their problems. Sometimes all that is needed is having someone next to them. It is comforting to know that we are not alone in the battles that we face. In a time where there is so much suffering, will we as a church stand up and carry the burdens and pains of our brothers and sisters? When we suffer with those who suffer, we are are reflecting the beauty of God to the world. People will come to witness that God is in the business of healing those who are hurting. We reflect the beauty of unity when we suffer with those who suffer. Secondly, we reflect the beauty of God through unity when we walk in humility. Walk in humility. Humility is the key to living in beautiful unity. Here's what Paul says about humility, starting in verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Paul says, in humility, we are to value others above ourselves. Right? This doesn't mean that we have to think less of ourselves. And it's not to take this posture that people are better than us. To be humble is to have a proper estimation about ourselves. It's to understand and recognize how God has created us and to even embrace both of our strengths and our weaknesses. We all have strengths and weaknesses, but I think oftentimes we like highlighting our strengths more. And that's not a bad thing. Someone actually recently told me that I'm great at humble bragging. And when I heard that, it threw me off a little bit because I was like, what does it mean to humble brag? And and whenever I think about bragging, I look at it in a negative light. And so I was a little offended at first, but as I thought about it more and reflected on it more, I actually took it as a compliment because I think what they were saying was that I am great at embracing my strengths without without letting it get to my head. Right? It's about embracing our strengths without letting it get to my head. There's nothing wrong with people speaking highly of themselves as long as your intent isn't to be worshipped or admired. It's it's a heart issue. It's all about our heart motivation. Do you love the way that God has created you or do you love when people love how God has created you? Do you love the way God has created you or do you want others to love the way that God has created you? Pride is delighting in people's admiration and worship of you. Humility is delighting in who you are, even to the point of embracing your weaknesses. And that's hard to do. Embracing our weaknesses entails us admitting that we don't have it together. 
It's not easy to admit when we fail, when we mess up, or even when we're struggling. But it takes courage to admit that we need help, that we are weak. But it's from that place of vulnerability that God can work in us and through us. Humility is to have a proper estimation of ourselves. But humility isn't just about how we view ourselves. It's also about how we view others. Paul says that in humility, you are to value others above yourselves. The valuing of others is not based on a person's worth because we know that our worth comes from Jesus alone. When Paul says that we are to value others, it's in regards to our interests and needs. What makes unity so beautiful is that we are committed to putting the interests of others first. This is what attracts people to Jesus. Jesus placed our interests and our needs before his own. Remember what took place in the Garden of Gethsemane? Jesus went to this garden and he starts praying. And his prayer is that God would take the cup away from him. The cup was a reference for the suffering that he would have to endure on the cross. And so he asked God the Father, would you take the suffering away from me? This was his desire. And yet, he walked in humility towards the cross. He put our needs, our desires, our interests above his own. And he walked towards the cross. When we walk in humility, putting other inter others' interests and needs first, we are embodying Christ. It's through our selflessness that people will see the selflessness of Jesus Christ. We reflect the beauty of God through unity when we suffer with those who suffer, when we walk in humility, and lastly, when we embrace an attitude of sacrifice and service. Embrace an attitude of sacrifice and service. Paul says that we are to be like-minded in verse 2. But this like-mindedness doesn't mean that we have to think the same. It shouldn't mean that we have the same perspective or opinion about everything. When Paul says that we are to be like-minded, he is addressing the attitude that we are to have towards each other. He further describes this attitude starting in verse 5. He says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Paul tells us that we are to have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. When it comes to our relationships, our attitude should be one of sacrifice and service. When we look at Jesus' example, he sacrificed so much. He gave up his power and glory to come down from heaven and be with us. He gave up his life on the cross. He did not withhold anything from us, but he gave as a servant. Even as he walked on earth, his attitude was one of service. Wherever he went, the people he encountered, he didn't ask them, what do you have to give to me? But it was always about, what could I do for you? Having an attitude of service first starts with recognizing where people are and seeing what they need. And when it comes to meeting people's needs, we have to let go of this notion of equality. I know right now equality is a popular word, 
People all over our country are fighting for equality. People want to be valued equally. They want to be treated with fairness. But I don't think when it comes to people's needs that that's enough. When it comes to people's needs, equality doesn't go far enough. What we really need is equity. Equality is about treating people the same. Equity is about giving people what they need. We have to understand that not everyone is in the same position. Not everyone is under the same circumstances or situations. That people have different needs. That we need to look at people as individuals. When we look at the way Jesus lived his life, he didn't treat every person the same. He was able to discern what each person needed and gave accordingly. For the woman who was caught in adultery, he offered protection and comfort. For the Sadducees and Pharisees who relied on their religious pride, he gave rebuke. For Zacchaeus, the tax collector who goes up on that tree, who felt alone and ostracized, he gave acceptance and community. Each person had their own particular need, but Jesus always looked at them with the attitude of sacrifice and service. What would it look like for you to have, to have an attitude of sacrifice and service? Maybe the first step is growing in your, deeper in your friendships. Right? How will you ever know how to serve someone if you don't know what's going on in their lives? Maybe having an attitude of sacrifice and service is to be a small group leader. Maybe God is asking you to sacrifice your time so that you can help people grow deeper in relationship with him and with each other. Maybe it's to call or send a note to a person you haven't spoken to in a while. I believe that there's a lot of us right now who are struggling and desiring connection. People may be tired of meeting together through Zoom, but I'm sure people would be encouraged just to hear from you getting a text or a call. I know it does for me. I love when people call me and text me. And I know it would for others. Although we may, be meeting, although we may not be meeting physically right now, there are always opportunities to serve. It may seem like God is closing doors, but whenever God closes doors, he also opens others. We need to keep our eyes open to the, and act at the opportunities that God gives to us, the, the ones that he presents to us. There was a time when God closed a door and opened another in, the in our youth group. Uh, at the time, I was leading our youth group, and one of, the, uh, one of the main things that I wanted for the youth group was for us to get into this habit of serving. And so at the time, we would have our monthly service nights. Every Friday, or once, one, one Friday of every month, we would go and figure out how can we serve? How can we be a light in this world? And it started off with us actually going into Penn Station, into the city, and just feeding and praying for the homeless. Right? And kids loved it. As we did it more and more, people, uh, kids became more and more comfortable with it. But sooner or later, God closed that door to that ministry. As we kept going, we started seeing that there were less and less homeless people at Penn Station. And what we found out was that the city was moving the homeless out of there. And so we had to pivot. And God shifted our focus. Instead of thinking about Penn Station, the city, and the homeless, God started to shift our focus here locally in Englewood. And so we started to think, what can we do here in Englewood. And so what we decided was that we would go into McKay Park and clean the park up. And to be honest, I don't think the kids were very enthused about that because we were going from interacting with people to picking up trash. 
And I think the reason why they weren't as excited about it is because at least when you're working with people, you can see immediate impact on the people that you love. But you don't see that impact when you're picking up trash. But that doesn't mean that God can't make an impact through everything that we do. And so there was one night where we were picking up trash in McKay Park, and we got approached by these neighborhood kids on their bikes. And I think because they saw this big group of people, it was foreign to them that young people, especially as diverse as we were, picking up trash, serving, giving up their time on a Friday night to serve. And so as they approached us, they started asking, oh, who are you guys and what are you guys doing? And I thought it was pretty obvious. It looked like we're picking up trash, right? But as we spoke to them, we told them that we are part of a church here in Englewood called Metro, and we just want to serve the community. And so I think that piqued their interest, and they started asking more questions about our church. It eventually led us to actually let, uh, tell them that we meet at Greco, and we invited them to come by if they felt comfortable. Now, I don't know if they ever came by and checked us out, but what I do know is that God made an impact that night through our youth group kids. By sacrificing their Friday nights and serving the community, our youth group was reflecting Jesus' love in the park. Our kids didn't see it beneath themselves to pick up trash, but they walked humbly, recognizing that the community was suffering. The community was suffering because the park was unclean. And so they took it upon themselves to work together, to be united, and to serve. And to be honest, I don't think what made the impact was picking up trash because, to be honest, if I think about myself, if I were the one, if I was the only one to pick up trash, I don't think anyone would have noticed. But it was by coming together, coming as a large group, and serving this community, being the hands and feet of Jesus, that people in the neighborhood took notice. Unity is beautiful to those who witness it. It has a way of drawing people in. When we come together suffering, for those who, suffering with those who suffer, by walking in humility and embracing an attitude of sacrifice and service, we are reflecting the beauty of God to this world. Our unity is a reflection of God's love and devotion to us. Metro, can we be a light in this world as we remain united with each other. Will you bow with me? God, for the last few weeks, we've been talking about unity. And it's so important and pertinent, especially today because of all the division that we see, not only in the world, in our country, but also even at church at times. But I pray, Father, that we would see how beautiful unity is, that it would convict us and motivate us to be able to reflect your beauty to this world. This message is not about how we are to do things. It is a message about, God, how beautiful you are and our purpose in being your hands and your feet to this world. And so right now, God, I pray if there is any division in our church, that you would bring people to reconcile. I pray, Father, if there are attitudes of selfishness and self-centeredness, God, that you would move people's hearts to a place, Father, where they would have an attitude of sacrifice and service to love a person, to give themselves up, to lift another up. I pray right now, Father, that as we worship you,
that we would continue to see how beautiful you are, God. We would see the cross and everything that you gave up because you loved us. And I pray, Father, that as a church, we would be an agent of transformation. That as people see not only how we worship, but also how we love each other, people would be drawn in, that people would want to be part of this church. And so God, I know that you're working in this moment. I know that you are convicting hearts. I know, Father, that you um, are ministering to each and every one of us. And so I just pray also for those who are suffering, for those who are going through hardship, for those who have experienced loss right now. May you comfort them. May you provide encouragement. And as a church, God, may we have just your spirit with us to be sensitive to know who we need to reach out to at this moment. So I thank you, God. I thank you for what you are doing right now and what you will continue to do in our lives. In Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. And at this time, we're going to continue worshiping God. Actually, before we worship God through our offerings, if you guys could take out your communication cards, uh, it's through the app or you can find it on our website. There are a few next steps that I would like us to go through. The first, I'm committing my life to Jesus for the first time, right? This is the greatest commitment that you can make. And we are celebrating with you as a church. And so if you check that off, we'll have a pastor just uh, connect with you, send you an email, uh, because we just want to be able to walk with you through this journey. The second, I will check in on three friends I have not spoken to since the pandemic started. I think it's been easy for us just to isolate ourselves in our own homes, and our own families. But there are a lot of people who are struggling. And so may this be a way that you just love on somebody who is going through um, a difficulty, right? There's no way that we can serve unless we know how people, how, what people are going through. The third, I will share my current struggle with a friend and ask for prayer, right? Presence is the most powerful thing that we can offer to each other. And so if this is you, um, please, I just encourage you to just be vulnerable and share your struggles so that you could receive prayer and that you can experience the power of unity and community in your life. And last, I will attend Metro's outdoor service on Sunday, October 11th. That's next week. Uh, I just want to encourage every one of you guys to come out. There will be social distancing, but please make sure that you register first. Uh, you can find the registration on, I believe, on the communication card, uh, but definitely on our website. This is our first in-person service um, since the pandemic started, and so it would be great just to be able to see as many faces as we can.